on the back of your uh, shorter handout today is an outline of today's sermon. So it's just four pages, and you're going to be flipping between the translation and the outline in the back, but it saves a little bit of lumber, and I hope it will be an effective guide for you. A few words of explanation uh, were not in Matthew, so what happened? And I thought that during Lent, it would be helpful if we deviated from Matthew for at least a few Sundays to give us a bit of a break from Matthew, not that we need one, but variety is the spice of life. And I wanted to consider during two sermons in Lent, passages from John's gospel. In this gospel, we read that Jesus weeps. And of course, Lent is a time when we reflect upon uh, and are sorrowful for our sins, when we meditate and anticipate the week of passion, which is soon to come. We deprive ourselves of things in, uh, as a reminder of um, our need to walk in discipleship and to take up our cross and to follow him. And so I chose this passage um, for um, its focus um, on Jesus's weeping. And also, I think in part because I was at the funeral of a dear friend this week uh, back in Calgary. So it, has, uh, it, it was poignant for me as I thought about it while thinking about the funeral of a friend. And then on Easter Sunday, we're going to finish this passage, which contains the, the narrative of the resurrection of Lazarus, as well as the resurrection of Jesus. Because part of the good news of Jesus's resurrection on Easter morning is that it is a guarantee and a foreshadowing of our resurrection. And already in this central chapter in the Gospel of John, we see in Lazarus's resurrection a picture of our own, but also Jesus sees a picture of his own death and resurrection. And I want us to consider the passage this morning um, under the heading of what can be done to get past disappointment with God. What can be done to get past disappointment with God? Because as I hope you will see when we look through the chapter, this passage is one that is brimming with disappointment. Both Mary and Martha say to Jesus pointedly, I dare say almost in criticism, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. How can we, what can be done to get past disappointment with God? Well, let me start with a little family story. Some of you have been to our cottage on Eagle Lake, and that cottage was the cottage of two great aunts of mine, Aunt Grace and Aunt Georgie. They were spinsters, school teachers who lived together, and they were a great source of joy to us as children. They had no children, of course, because they were single but they always had a chihuahua whom they spoiled miserably. Yappy little thing that would claw at the, uh, at the glass on the French doors, and every time you knocked, it was... None of us really liked the chihuahuas very much, apart from the fact that we knew that they meant the world to Aunt Grace and Aunt Georgie. Well, one day in the summertime, Timmy, the chihuahua, tangled with a porcupine and came out on the losing end. And it had some porcupine quills uh, all around its, its mouth, and it was pretty nasty. Uh, well, fortunately, it seemed 
um, Aunt Grace and Aunt Georgie had a, a, a nephew, my dad, and uh, a brother-in-law, my grandfather, who were doctors. And so they asked my dad and my grandfather if they could uh, anesthetize Timmy so that the porcupine quills could be removed. My dad and my grandfather anesthetized Timmy. Timmy responded not. They anesthetized Timmy a little bit more. Timmy responded not. They anesthetized Timmy a little bit more. Timmy died. And they thought, how are we going to tell Grace and Georgie that we have killed their dog? Well, they couldn't. Instead, they disappeared, and they went all around southern Ontario looking for a chihuahua puppy whom they could at least bring as an offering in place of Timothy. My Aunt, my aunt Georgie said that when, she, when my Aunt Grace was wailing and wailing, she said, I hope she cries half that much when I go, as she did for Timmy when he went... Anyway, here's a situation, and you can probably see how it relates to the story. You have a couple of women who have a problem, and they look to an authority to help them. And in the case of dad and grandpa, the authorities didn't prove to be so honorable. They should have just gone to the vet, right? As a result, Timmy died. Now, the comparison is pretty limited, I admit. But the situation is all the more poignant in the case of Mary and Martha because they had a sick brother, Lazarus. This is more serious. But they had a better source. They had Jesus, who makes no mistakes. And he was a very close friend. And so they went to Jesus, and they asked him for his help. And this story in John chapter 11 is about Jesus for one reason or another, which is not entirely clear, although we get some signals, was not there in time to keep Lazarus from dying. The women were devastated, and they were disappointed with Jesus. I don't think we read anywhere in the Gospels where any criticism or veiled criticism is directed so much at Jesus as when both Martha and Mary say exactly the same words. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. I want us to look at the story and to draw from it lessons that we can draw on overcoming disappointment with God ourselves. First of all, what was the disappointment in John chapter 11? Well, if you read the story carefully, and when you read the story carefully, it always emerges. You just look for themes that recur and recur and recur. And in this case, it has to do with the delay of Jesus. Notice, for example, in verse 6, verses 5 and 6. Look at it on your outline with me. It's called John's disclosure of the mention in the plot. And I dare you to ponder the logic. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So therefore, when he heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, then he indeed remained in which place he was for two extra days. John is telling us 
more by faith than anything else, that even though Jesus allowed Lazarus to die, he must have loved the sisters anyway, and he must have had a reason for it. And indeed, the reason becomes somewhat evident through the rest of the story. But John is reminding us of the fact that sometimes things happen in life that disappoint us greatly, for which Jesus would have been the easy and obvious solution. And for whatever reason, he doesn't come through in the way that we expect. What can be done to get past disappointment with God? Now, in the case of Mary and Martha, the disappointment was quite specific. They were mad at Jesus because he did not show up in time. If you do a careful study, you realize that even if Jesus had come right away, Lazarus would still have died. But that only partly solves the problem because Jesus, Mary and Martha's friends, their distant friends, all came from Jerusalem to comfort and to be a source of comfort when Lazarus died. And John tells us in verse 6, in not so many words, that Jesus remained in whatever particular place he happened to be for two extra days. Nothing special in the itinerary? All of us can think of times when we wish that there could have been a direct involvement from God in sparing us an accident, a death, uh, an opportunity that was passed by virtue of what seemed to be God's poor timing. And in this case, the sisters had extra reason to think that Jesus would help them. Our story begins by saying, now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, from the village of Mary and Martha, her sister. And then John, in verses 2 and 3, he jumps ahead. Because Mary has not yet anointed Jesus, that happens in the next chapter. But John is telling us, Mary had special reason to think that Jesus would oblige him, that Jesus owed her a favor. So he says in verses 2 and 3, now Mary was she who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters messaged him, saying, very briefly, no need of explanation. This is a dear friend. They have an inside track. Lord, note, he whom you love is sick. Implicitly, come. And they were sure he would. Verse 4, but when hearing this, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. My friends, we see here, and actually I'm going to jump ahead in one of my points, because I've, I've come upon it in this, uh, in this particular verse. We see in verses 5 and 6 that there was a reason. The Son of God was going to be glorified. And so it helps to know that even though we don't know the reason, that in this case, there is one. Jesus had ordained, God had ordained that Lazarus would die so that the Son of God would be glorified through the resurrection of Lazarus. We don't always know the purpose, but isn't it nice to know, in reading this story at least, that there was a purpose. 
when you're thinking about whatever reason or whatever situation you can't explain in your own life that makes you disappointed with God, John offers us assurance here. And that assurance lies in the fact there was a good reason. They didn't know it. They couldn't figure it out. It was painful. It was even torturous for them. God had a reason for it. And because we're human beings and God is God, in most cases, we will not know the reason. But there is one. And it's recorded here in the case of Lazarus as a reminder to us that God is capable of working all things together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his will. Now, was it ultimately God's will that Lazarus die? Was it ultimately God's will that your friend pass away or that illness strike a friend or that there was a dreadful accident? No. That comes as a result of human sin. But God is able to take those situations which are awful and which are terrible and work them according to his purpose so that something good is brought about as a result. And here, Jesus foreordains that. This sickness is not unto death but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So what I want us to do in the, in the time that remains is for us to look at the passage and to see three things that help us address the problem of disappointment with God. The first is, It's nice to know that this passage acknowledges that the problem is real. Notice the way our story ends. In verses 36 and verses 37, the summary of this portion of the chapter says, now the Jews were saying, oh, see how he loves him after all. You see, the issue was, if Jesus really cared, he would have shown up. But in verse 37, some among them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have made it so that this man also not die. John is very clear here that the problem is real. And I like that. One of the things that we all love about the Bible is it tells it like it is. When there's a problem, we hear about it. Sometimes when we'd rather not hear about it, we hear about it, like the story of our sin. John does not cloak this at all and indicates that Mary and Martha were disappointed. And over and over again, in the way that he crafts his story, he talks and intimates Jesus' delay. At one point, he even says that when Mary gets up, that all of the Jews who showed up for the morning and who came to her also followed her. And Mary is still having to go to Jesus, who's not there yet. He's only gotten to the point where he met Martha. And the delay of Jesus is obvious and it's painful. The problem is real and the Bible knows. And that means that God knows that your problem is real. That the thing that you're struggling with isn't made up. And yeah, it's a gnawing problem. Something about God knowing, I think, is enormously helpful. Something about the Bible's acknowledgement that, yes, there are times when we're disappointed is helpful indeed. John acknowledges that the problem is real in the seeming illogic of what he says in verses 5 and 6. As I said, it was a faith statement. Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, 
he indeed remained in whatever place he was for an extra two days. Go figure. You can't, but reckon the problem is real and there is a purpose. So we've seen that the problem is real. If we had any doubt about it, think of what Jesus himself said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The timing seems to have been bad in the case of Jesus with Lazarus. The timing seems to have been bad in the case of God with Jesus's own death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did God have a purpose in that? Oh, we all know you bet he did. You bet he did. Jesus was dying for your sins and for mine on that tree. And Jesus's forsakenness was awful. But it was also glorious because it accomplished your salvation and mine. In Lazarus's death and resurrection, God is glorified. That's a purpose. But we can also see in it a foreshadowing of Jesus's resurrection and our resurrection. And in the case of Jesus's delay, there's no doubt this guy is as dead as a doornail. He's in a tomb. And just like Jesus will be in a tomb for three days, this guy's been there for four. It's the real deal. It's a real revival. Second thing that we can note is that it addresses the problem at an intellectual level. How do you get past disappointment with God? The passage acknowledges that the problem is real. That's a source of comfort. It addresses the problem at the intellectual level for the noggin, as it were. And as I've already said, under category number 2A, we see in Lazarus's case what we often see not in ours, the purpose, a purpose. How many times have you been to a funeral where you're, uh, the, the people who are bereaved, who are Christians, are just wanting to say, you know, we just want some good to come from this. We want to see good from this person's passing. We hope that when the, the funeral takes place, that someone will hear the gospel and maybe come to know Jesus for the first time. And they wouldn't otherwise have come to know Jesus were it not for this person's passing. We look for a purpose. We most often don't see it. We rarely, if ever, see the whole purpose, but there was a purpose. There is a purpose, I believe, for what happens to you. Ultimately, it's the result of sin, but God is in the business of turning what is wrong into what is redemptive. That's the story of humanity and creation. So we can take heart from the fact that God has a purpose. We can also take heart, a second thing for our noggin, as it were, is we can also see in Lazarus's case, assurance of resurrection, an assurance of our resurrection. My lifelong friend, Don Waddell, uh, was remembered this week, and he was remembered with a source of joy because there was a confidence in the resurrection, and that confidence is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus, which is an historical fact, and in the resurrection of Lazarus, which is an historical fact. To this very day, the Arab name for that village is Beit Lazaria. Well, that's partly Hebraicized, but it's, it's, it's what you would expect. The, name is, the, the town is named after this guy. It's named after Lazarus. And the, uh, the historicity of it is uh, not in any way, I believe, to be questioned. I think the reason why it's not included in the other Gospels is because it was a sore point for Mary and Martha. It was a controversial moment in Jesus' life because it was clear. He could have come, but he didn't. John owns up to it and recovers the story for our memory. 
So there's an intellectual solution to the problem, I suppose. But if you're like me, okay. Nice to know there's a purpose. Nice to know we're going to be raised from the dead. That's good. Very good. Very important. But it addresses the problem also at the human and the emotional level. Not at the level of the noggin, but at the level of the soul. To understand what I'm talking about, this emotional source of comfort that comes, we need to back up and simply recognize that there's a development in Jesus's understanding here. Yes, there's a development in Jesus's understanding here. We are told in the Bible that Jesus grew in his understanding. He learned obedience through what he suffered. So that means that even though Jesus is fully God and fully human, that there are times when his knowledge grows. And at the beginning of the story, Jesus says, Lazarus's death is for the glory of God. He even says to his disciples, I'm rejoiced that Lazarus died because people are going to come to faith through it. Lazarus is just asleep. It's okay. I'm going to go and waken him. Then he shows up. And he learns from Martha and Mary how incredibly painful this was. And we find in our story that Jesus rebukes himself. Jesus gets angry. Your, your translation probably doesn't say it. It says he was deeply moved within or something like that. But if you look at it literally, Jesus rebuked himself and was angry within. Jesus's human knowledge developed, as hard as that is to imagine. And when he saw the impact that that loss had on those two women, he knew it was God's will. He knew it was God's purpose. He knew he, he had to do it. But at the same time, he went, gosh, darn. Look at those women mourning. Look at these other people who came in time to mourn with him. Jesus got angry. And then it says, the shortest verse in the Bible, you cheated on it when you had memorized verses. Jesus wept. He wept. One translation puts it based upon the Greek tense. He burst into tears. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of evidence that I like. It's good for the noggin to know things, but it's important for the heart to feel that Jesus knows and he cares. Jesus couldn't wait to raise Lazarus. Where have you laid him? He didn't want it to last one more minute than was necessary. And when he got there, he cried. And at that moment, people said, oh, you see, he did love him after all. One of the problems that we have when we don't see God acting in our lives is we wonder if he really cares. We wonder if he's really there. Mary wondered that. Martha wondered that. Lazarus probably wondered that, uh, wondered that as he was gasping his last breath. Where is he? Jesus cares. The human Jesus is a key to this. 
We don't believe in some God up in the sky who's God and who's all superior and all almighty and he doesn't understand us. This is a God who became a human and who saw tears on the cheeks of his friends and came to understand what you and I go through when we lose somebody. When you and I go through an experience where we're painfully disappointed in God. I always wanted a child and I can't have one. I had one and he was taken. I lost my best friend before his time or her time. My spouse is deathly ill. What's going on? There's a purpose. There's going to be the resurrection. But he cares. And he weeps. And he's angry about the sin that led to the problem in the first place. That's the insight itself. Two words. Jesus wept. Kind of nice to know when you're hurting that there's somebody there. Even if they're not able to be there in person. Weeping. God became a human. Sees it on your cheeks. And he weeps with you. There are implications for that for pastoral care. It's called the ministry of presence. Those of you who are mentoring others or who are uh, pastoring, it's important sometimes just to show up. It's not what you say, but your presence is a great source of ministry. And God showed up in human form. And even here, he wept. And he wanted Lazarus out of that grave as soon as he could. My friends, here are the lessons. Whether we see it or not, God has a purpose. Whether we sense it or not, God, in the human Christ, really does care, even if at times it seems he doesn't. Amen.